so a couple things I want to share with you that you may not know that are going on um, in and around our church. Uh, one of them is our team from Florida returned yesterday, uh, and they are planning another trip, trying to get those details lined up. Uh, but they returned from Florida doing disaster relief uh, yesterday morning about 11 o'clock and had some incredible things, worked really hard, drove a long way to get there. Uh, but the most important thing is they were able to be a part of leading three people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, yes, praise the Lord. Um, and this Wednesday night, uh, Justin and myself had an opportunity to be a part of something called Fields of Faith, which happened at Oak Grove High School outside, um, outside Wednesday evening. It was cold, okay, um, and had an opportunity to preach to about 200 students um, from across the county. And uh, I know that one of those students gave their life to Christ as well. Um, so just an encouraging, encouraging week for us as a church. Uh, and then, so I walk in pretty excited Wednesday night coming home, and my wife comes home pretty excited from Awana, and she's, she shows me this piece of this page of the Awana notebook, and Awana is our Wednesday night uh, ministry to our children for them to grow um, in the love of God's Word and the application of God's Word. Um, and so many of you have been faithful to bring your children um, as we've transitioned back from Sunday to Wednesday, so thank you. But I but, uh, walked in, and she had this piece of paper, and it was the, the review week, and she said, so many of our kids kids were able to do the review week, and this is a challenge to us, okay? Uh, this wasn't just reviewing last week's verse, it was reviewing the last seven weeks of verses and being able to do it from memory. So, huge challenge to, to all of us um, and opportunities we have to learn God's Word. So, just some great things that I wanted you to be aware of, and even Wednesday night while we were at Fields of Faith, um, we had student ministry, which had an incredible group of students here learning um, in God's Word. Um, and then we also had, uh, we had that taking place um, at Fields of Faith. And then we had Awana taking place. And then we had Foundations, which Matt Bryant, one of our pastors, is teaching on why we believe and how we believe and what we believe. Um, started with Scripture and how do we have the Scripture that we have. Um, and then Andrew Ward, um, taught our discipleship pastor, taught on disciple making and what it means to be disciples who make disciples. Disciples. And so a lot of things going on. You can still jump into one of those if you want to jump in this, this coming Wednesday night. So want to make sure you guys are aware of us. But thank you for coming to the sixth week um, as we're walking through 1 Corinthians. If you're new with us, just a quick, quick, quick um, introduction. Uh, 1 Corinthians is written by a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul, who was a guy by the name of Saul who persecuted Christians. And in Acts chapter 9 has this incredible moment where the Lord Jesus appears to him, um, convicts him, confronts him, and he gives his life to the Lord. Um, and then he begins traveling and teaching um, and speaking and preaching and writing letters to churches that God allowed him to plant, different churches and different regions, and he writes these words, and as he hears things going on in these churches, then he addresses them in letters if he can't go. So that's the letter of First and Second Corinthians. Now, a couple things you'll see today that we saw last week is that uh, some of what he is writing is in a response clearly to questions that the church, of first, uh, the church of Corinth has been asking. So he's trying to lean into that a little bit and answer that. But understand, again, the context. It is in the city of Corinth. It is a wicked city. It's full of immorality. It's full of great wealth. It's full of pagan worship um, and pagan temples and um, just all types of things taking place. 
And so Paul is going to step deep into these issues each and every week. But we said from the very beginning, um, and we'll, we'll see that echoed in here this morning, that Jesus is everything. Again, kind of the way that I summarized this for us as we got started. Jesus is everything, and we must act like who we are, followers of Jesus Christ. To this church of Corinth, a group of 200 people in a town of, of 100,000, they had a tall task in front of them. And in order for them to, to be a part of that culture and to in, in, infiltrate that culture with the mess of Jesus, they were going to have to live like Jesus commanded them. And the same is true for us today. So uh, as we're walking through this, we don't have as many sensitive type issues to walk through as we have. But if I can, I, I just kind of want to get you to the scripture um, and, and help with an understanding of something. So I want to take you back to when I was 10 or 11 years old. I remember um, going to a wedding for the first time off the church campus that I grew up. I grew up in Charlotte, loved my home church, um, just, just a great ministry there at Mulberry Baptist Church. Uh, and uh, Jeff Hudler and I and Kathy Hudler, several other um, people here in our church actually grew up there, which is kind of crazy. And so uh, just a lot of great ministries. Uh, but I remember my mom and dad, I was 10 or 11, and they, they were invited to go to a wedding that wasn't at the church. Now, let me help those of you who are 30 and younger. Here's how weddings used to happen. Sanctuary, wedding, fellowship hall, nuts, mints, punch, cake. I have two daughters. I am really for that, okay? Um, so if we could just go back, all right, to those four ingredients, that's all you needed. And so we got invited. We went to this wedding, and then they had the reception afterwards, and they had a DJ this was part of my confusion, but what really happened next, I grew up in a, in a Baptist church, and some of you are like, ah, this is a real thing. Yes, it's a real thing. And they, the DJ started playing music, and, and they danced. <laughs> Dancing and Baptist 40 years ago was sinner, Okay. I mean, that's just it, all right? And so and I'm sitting there going, and, and not only did the bride and groom dance, but then they invited people out. Now, you could dance at the prom, and you could go shag at Myrtle Beach, and you can do all those type of things. But, man, church, and this was kind of a church thing, and so I was really confused. And, and I remember they said, anybody can join us. And then people that I went to church with started dancing. I was like, what is happening? This is not right. This doesn't fit, okay? And you go, well, well, that's kind of a strange thing to bring up from 40 years ago. You'll understand in just a moment. It's a, it's a gray area. Uh, or this was another area that, that completely threw me, um, made, made me think a little bit. Uh, my youth minister grew up at Rich Fork, and um, God brought him to Charlotte, and we connected there and through our church ministry, and we were invited over to his house, and we we're going to go hang out at the youth minister's house. We don't know what you do at the youth minister's house. Like, it's got to be something sacred, right? And, and so we started playing spades with cards. <laughs> like, I played cards with my granny, okay? My granny, uh, we played rummy, and we played, I'm just going to be honest, we played for money, okay? She had a penny jar. Time out before you throw rocks at me. She had a penny jar. We anted up with her pennies. We beat her with her pennies, put them back in the jar. And when we had another day where we were sick from school, we got to play rummy again. All right? That, that's my story. And, but, but, I mean, at Granny's house, cards. But at the student pastor's house, cards? 
Now, some of you are still going, I don't get it. These are things that over the years we've gone, is that okay? Is that not okay? Some of these are things that are brought in that have nothing to do with Scripture, but some to do with context of where we live, and so did the church of Corinth. Fast forward 2022. If I lined up um, every Baptist church in Thomasville, Lexington, Davidson County, and I asked them these questions, and if I threw in the Presbyterians and Methodists, we'd really get some crazy answers, right? And if I grabbed the Church of God people and put them in the mix and I said, hey, can you go to movies? Different answers. What rated movies? Can you eat at a restaurant with a bar? Different answers. Is it okay? Please don't overreact to this, okay? Can, can, is it okay to wear a hat in church? Okay, it's not biblical, all right? So where, where, did, that, where did that come from? Because that's what I was told growing up. In fact, during COVID, I filmed a video in our sanctuary on a Thursday night. There was nobody in the room and I was just promoting coming to church that Sunday because I think we were back in person and I sat on the front row by myself with a selfie, right? Like just in there looking like a goober all by myself in there and I had a hat on and I got more comments that I had a hat on than I did about the content of the message. And, and so these are issues that we've grown up with. Some are tradition, some are biblical, some are not. Go back 30 years. Can women wear, I know some of you are going like, where are we this morning, okay? Can women wear pants in church? Oh boy. <whistles> Jeans? Oh no, 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 no. And those ones with the holes cut out in the knees, you better forget it, all right? Now, we laugh but we all know we've had conversations with people, maybe from a different church, maybe from a different background, maybe from a different family group, that we have these gray areas that we go, well, what do we do with this? The church of Corinth had a real one, a sincere one that came out of where they lived and how was it going to impact the church. They needed an answer to a pressing question. But what I want you to see ahead of time, I just want you to see this. Paul's going to take a gray area question and he's going to raise it towards a question of influence as believers. He's going to move it completely out of, well, what do we do with this to, well, let me give it some more power. And here was the issue. It wasn't their dress. It wasn't their hat. It wasn't their movies. It was their food. Now, the city of Corinth was a pagan city. They had pagan temples. Stick with me. I know you've been waiting all week for a sermon on sacrificed meats, okay? I know you just cannot wait until this morning, all right? But they lived in a city where the butchers, they would prepare meat specifically for temple pagan worship. And so one of three things was a concern for them. It was, well, has this meat that we might be encountering, has it been offered to a false god? Has this meat been served at a banquet where the false god is the idol? That would be a little crazy. Or the most prominent issue was what do we do with meat that was sacrificed and cut to be used for the intention of idol worship, but we buy it to take to our house? Again, I know you're going, what in the world does this have to do with me today? I promise we're going to get there. But you've got to see how powerful this is. Christians did not know what to do with it. The church of Corinth did not know. What do we do with this? Here's what he says. Now concerning 
food offered to idols. So now he, chapter 7, he said now concerning, and he dealt with, um, with divorce and marriage and those topics. And now he says now, now concerning, so there's a question that's been asked, he's replying, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Let me just read that again. That was not a complimentary, uh, like that was not a compliment that he's offering there. If you think you know something, but you don't really know, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So let's make sure, let's, let's, let's let verses 1 through 3 kind of guide us as we walk through this cultural issue that I believe impacts us even here today. The question is, would they have, out of verses 1 through 3, would they have arrogant knowledge or edifying love? Huge difference here. He says, listen, you've got knowledge. Great. You're puffed up. You're arrogant. Or would you have edifying love? This is to the church of Corinth. You've got knowledge, great. You've got wisdom, maybe. Do you have love? Knowledge must be accompanied by love that builds others up. It is a both and, it's not an either or. According to Paul in verses one through three, he says, literally, you could translate it this way. Knowledge blows up. But love builds up. The subtleness, not subtle, verse 2, if anyone imagines that he knows something or has a self-inflated knowledge, but he really doesn't grasp what he needs to know, verse 3 says this, it is the love of God that leads to the love of others. It's the love of God that leads to others. But Paul uses this valid question, brilliant in his intellect and in his writing and his inspiration from God, knowledge must be accompanied by love that builds others up. One pastor said this. He said, knowing things can make our egos and heads bigger. Loving people can make our brothers and sister bigger. We live in a world, you have all the knowledge that you could possibly want and then some. You can't even grasp all that's around us. But does that knowledge alone prepare us to step into the brokenness of this world? The knowledge alone. Paul would say, no, that's puffed up. Do you have a puffed up knowledge or an edifying love? Are you going to build others up? Now, the much anticipated verses about the idol worship. Here we go. You've been waiting for this all morning. All right, verse four. Therefore, because of what he just stated, As to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many little g gods and many little l lords, important there, yet For us, there is one God, the Father, from whom all are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, 
through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us We are no worse off if we do not eat or no better off if we do. Just pause right there and go. Thanks, Paul. Right? Thanks for the clarity, Paul. I mean, like, what just happened here? Verse 4 and 5, essentially what he is saying to them, there are many idols, there are many, quote, lords, there are many gods which do not really exist. They are not real gods. They do not have real power. There is, he's teaching them here, there is only one true God, the creator of all things and the giver of light. In light of that, what he is saying is, there is no connection directly between the food and their spiritual growth. So since the idols weren't real and the sacrifice to an idol was meaningless, He's essentially saying, just overlook their hocus pocus and eat the meat. Now, Paul is saying this to his friends. He's saying false gods aren't real, real, therefore sacrifice meats do not matter. He is not saying that means that you can go to Golden Corral, which I know is closed, all right? You can go to whatever buffet and just go for it with no regard for what's going on around you. Was he giving them permission to eat all the meat they wanted with no concern for who is around them? This is where it gets important for us. This is where he's taking it from this conversation about sacrifice and idols. And he's raising it to how does this impact the church? How does this impact followers of Jesus impacting other people? Verse 9, but take care. Here's where he moves this for us. But take care. That this right of yours, let's just pause right there. The elephant in the room. The right of yours. We are in this room. We are from the United States of America. We have rights. We have privileges. Don't take them. Don't touch them. They're my rights. I can do what I want, how I want. That's part of how we have gotten to where we are as a country. Like we, we, we fight for what we are rights, okay? So be, but take care that this right of yours, that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. What is the right? The right is you can eat the meat. You're still going, man, I have no idea why I showed up today, okay? I promise we'll get there. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak, Here, a little bit more. For if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? Another word that may be a little bit easier for us to make meaning here is their conscience is immature. To eat food offered to idols. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed the brother for whom Christ died. 
Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak or immature, you sin against Christ. Now, I know in this room, we got students in the front, students in the back, kind of all spread out. I, I really want you to, to hang in there with me. I know this is one of those passages that you may go, Pastor, I... I'm really not struggling with the buffet question, okay? I'm really not struggling with the barbecue question, but I'm not struggling with vegan over barbecue. This is bigger, okay? What does he mean here? He says, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. It literally means to trip someone up in their faith, for them to go backwards in their faith. Paul says the meat is not the issue. What is the issue is there are people inside the church of Corinth who are young in their faith, their conscience is weak, and if they see you eating in the temple and they see you eating the same thing in your house and they're weak or immature in their faith, it can cause them to stumble. Put it this way. Paul invites a bunch of people over for dinner and they have steak and they're all brand new believers. And they're sitting there eating. They're like, can, can we eat this? Like, I had this two weeks ago before I became a follower of Jesus in the pagan temple. Well, Paul can have it in his house and they can have it in the temple. I'll just go back to the pagan temple and keep getting the meat. This is the wrestling here. Saying, he's taking this gray area and he's elevating it to a teaching that we still need to this day. He's raising it to take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. It causes us, as we walk through this passage, to ask of ourselves, am I a stumbling block or a stepping stone? Is the way that I'm living my life a stumbling block to somebody who's walking, they're new as a believer, or they've had a struggle with certain difficulties, and they're walking with you, you're guiding them in their faith, and you, we become a stumbling block. Why? Because we say we can do something. It's our right. He says, be careful that your right does not become something that causes others to stumble. In case we need a clarity. Verse 13. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Now, how does this translate to 2022 when we just had a big barbecue festival yesterday, right? What does this mean to you and I? The question is larger, it's not simply about the menu, it's about the venue. Let me explain. The question here is not, is it the question of idols and meat? Yes, it is for them. It's their context. It's what they're walking through. It's a real concern. But Paul is raising this to say, listen, let's move this and, and let me just elevate this to, if your right causes someone else to stumble, what are you going to do about it? The question then becomes, not can I, but should I? Should I depends on who's sitting at the table. Should I depends on where we are. Should I says, well, man, I, I know that, that that family, they're they're new to our church, and I believe their, their child is young in their faith. Then, then we begin to ask different questions. 
let me move this to 2022. I mean, can I watch this in front of them? Can we watch this together? Can I recommend this? If I watch this in front of them, will it cause them to stumble or trip on their faith? If I drink this in front of them, will it cause them to stumble in their faith? If I eat this, if I post this, if I repost this, now we're getting somewhere, right? You see how this applies, not simply to their context and their moment, but it's a principle that can guide us. Freedom must be accompanied by sensitivity to the spiritual needs of the people around us. That is more important than your right. Freedom must be accompanied by sensitivity to the spiritual maturity of those around us. No freedom that you have as a believer is worth the harm that it might inflict on someone who lacks maturity to resist the temptation that you have already stepped into freedom with. No freedom is worth the temptation. When you can say, well, yeah, but I can handle it. They can't. Paul is driving home here. Church, listen. This is where all this teaching from 1 Corinthians starts to impact us. Paul is saying this vertical relationship that you have with God and the grace of being a follower of Jesus Christ and the mercy you've been given from him, how we speak, how we act, what we endorse. God, the relationship vertically begins to impact the relationships horizontally. You cannot disconnect them. You cannot say, well, I'm growing in my faith, but I don't really want to be responsible to somebody else in their growth. Tough. It's the calling. It's a gift for you to say this vertical relationship is impacting this horizontal relationship with other believers. Maturity is marked by self-restraint and self-sacrifice. If you're new in your faith or you're young in age, please Listen to what Paul is outlining here for us. This stumbling block mentality, maturity. If you're mature in Christ, it's marked by self-restraint and self-sacrifice. Being able to say, you know what? I might have the right, but it's not worth the temptation to this believer. Remember, this is to the church, people inside the church caring for each other. So you may say, well, pastor, I didn't grow up with pagan meat practices, okay? So... Let's, let's, just, let's just call it what it is. Let me just share this one with you. Uh, first moment that this became a real reality, kind of in context with this, is we have, for years, we have um, had ministry that God has allowed us to be a part of in Guinea-Bissau, West Africa. Um, West Africa, Guinea-Bissau is, and most of West Africa, uh, is largely Muslim in their uh, religious backgrounds and their faith. Uh, and when you get out into the country where we were, uh, it's about 99% of people are Muslims. Muslims don't eat pork, okay? Yesterday was not a big deal for them. Uh, so we've been working there for years, and um, God has given us opportunity to meet other believers and, and to see Christ move and over 100 people be baptized over 15 years, which is awesome to see. Pastors have grown out of that. Well, a few years ago, about 12 years ago, one of the pastors came um, to visit the United States and um, to meet with some people here in the United States. And so he came to Rich Fork, and um, he preached here one Sunday, and we live in Lexington, North Carolina, Thomasville, Davidson County. 
where are you going to take somebody to eat? Pick your barbecue place of choice, right? Now, that could be as controversial. I mean, we really could, we could really fight right today, right? Um, some would say this place in Trinity. Some would say this place in Lexington, whatever your, your preference is. But so I thought I'm doing this guy a, a great favor. I'm going to introduce him to uh, Lexington-style barbecue. So I take him to lunch, and we sit down, and he has no idea what to order. And so, man, you got to have hush puppies. You gotta have fries, you gotta have that slaw that's controversial, right? You gotta have some of the slaw and you gotta have pork barbecue. Uh oh. Now, he's not following his tradition, but it's still a part of his context, it's still a part of who he is. He doesn't pursue this anymore, but he's never experienced it because he lives in a country that doesn't have pork barbecue. So the pastor takes him out for pork barbecue for the first time in his life. And I order for him, and he takes a couple bites, and he what is this? I was like, it was pork. <laughs> and he wasn't offended. He was taken back. It did not impact him negatively in his faith. But guess what? I would never take him back. Because it created a difficulty for him from where he was from. It was a questionable thing that barbecue. It's barbecue, right? And, and so it was a question for him. And so we ordered a burger and he ate and we were all good, right? I apologized profusely. Several years later, I went back to Guinea-Bissau and we were staying where a place that he oversees. And, um, and he was like, hey, there's the pastor who took me out for pork, okay? Um, so, you know, um, known all over the world. There we go. But several years ago, uh, we served, before I became the pastor, uh, Emily and I, we served in the student ministry arena here at our church. Uh, and we constantly had students in our home. And one of the most common conversations in our house, where, where everybody's going to be in right here, okay, was the conversation of alcohol. Okie dokie. Here we go, right? See, it's... Venue over the menu, all right? So, so what, what's, what's the conflict here? And so students would come to us and they would say, do you drink? No. Ever? No. Is it in your house? No. Now please hear me when I say what I'm about to say. I can as equally, okay, declare my right to not drink in a prideful, boastful way. That's not what I want you to hear. I'll explain. Whew, you guys got really quiet. For starters, my family, on my side of the family, we had multiple people um, in my dad's family and his heritage who died from diseases, from alcoholism. So it was, it was never a conversation. It was never something that was around my house. It was never something that we experienced. So it was an automatic, we just, we've never encountered it, so we don't encounter it. And second, um, I believe that this is a temple, and I want to make sure for me that I have clarity of thought and clarity of mind um, in my actions and my desires. Uh, my influence, third, our influence over our students and our church members. And we would literally watch students have disagreements in our house over this issue. Fourth, we, we, just, we could not find for us a benefit to this being a part of our lives. I've never had, 
in all my years of ministry. I've never had a couple or an individual walk into my house or walk into my office for counseling and say, hey, pastor, I just want to tell you my life's gotten a lot better. I've started drinking, okay? It's never happened, okay? Um, never, ne- never happened. Um, but the largest reason, listen, the largest reason is this. And I don't say this with, with uh, perfection or legalism. The largest reason is this. We recognize then as we do now that every decision that we make in our lives has the potential to influence people for Christ. Everything. So we made decisions in our home that even students that came into our home didn't agree with. Why did we do this? Listen, because we had the freedom to. We had the freedom, not the restriction. We had the freedom to say, this is not a part of our context. This is not a part of who we are. Why? Because we don't want to unknowingly or knowingly cause someone young in conscience, weak in conscience, to stumble. So if we can take this piece out, we'll just take it out. If we don't belong in that, we don't belong in that. Now, we could transfer that to a lot of different conversations, couldn't we? We don't just have to stay there. Uh, We could look at the past three years. COVID, vaccine, masks, oh my. Right? You want to talk about three years that has caused dissension and brokenness in relationships of other bodies of believers and even relationships within this context of believers? Declaring, I've got my right, but is my right overarching a weaker believer? If so, I go, you know what, fine. I have the freedom to. So before you shoot me an email, let's, we got to finish this week's and next, okay? Please hear me. The greatest freedom that you have, it's not your right as an American, The greatest freedom you have is not even the right to walk in here on a Sunday morning. The greatest freedom you have is not getting your driver's license at 16. The greatest freedom you have is not being able to vote. The greatest freedom you have, the greatest freedom you have, again, this is inside the church. This is not outside the church. The greatest freedom that we have as followers of Jesus Christ is to live our lives in a way that lead others to freedom in Christ. That's it. That's the greatest freedom. That's the greatest freedom that you have. And so when we come to chapter 8, we go, man, this is confusing. This idols and this worship and this meat and this, this conscience. And what it is, it's a, it's, a, it's a real situation. It's a gray area that Paul says, hey, let's just take this where it needs to go. And if you walk into somebody's house and they say, man, he's a new believer and he just came from the pagan temple, we're not going to have steaks tonight. We're going to take into account why. Because our freedom ultimately is not so that we can say we are free. Our freedom as followers of Jesus Christ is to live our lives in such a way that other people want the freedom we have in Christ. Each of us, every one of us, you're going to have to make your own decisions on some of those gray issues. Do you post that? Do you repost that? I'll give you a little personal side there. 99% of the time, probably not, all right? Do you, do you jump on the latest craze and share that joke? 
Parents, this is so true of you and our impact on our children. Your greatest freedom is not what you can do, but what you're led to do in Christ. Pastor, I can watch this and I can, I, I, I can say this because, I, because I'm 18 or I'm 35 or I'm 45 and I've worked hard so that I can do this. Does it cause a younger believer to stumble? If we ask, can I? We are often asking from a place of personal right or privilege. This applies to leaders of the church. This applies to me. We must be willing at times to give up certain rights and privileges. Why? So that it leads people to Jesus. It's freedom. It's not restriction. We face decisions, gray areas. That you go, well, I don't have a, I don't have a specific verse on, on YouTube policies 101, right? Can I? Or should I? If we ask, should I, we are ask, asking from a place of concern for others over ourselves. Should I? Well, let me take a look around me. Who's, who's in the room? Let me take a look around me. Where are they in their faith? Let me look around me. Are they, are they new to the body of Christ? Let me look around. Have they struggled with this issue before? Let me look around me. Should I? And if any of those answers come back, no. Come back in the affirmative, yes, it's going to make them struggle. And you say, well, I have the freedom to not do this. Will my actions lead someone less mature in the faith to sin? Summary of chapter 8, less mature in the faith to sin. Will it? Will my action give someone less mature in the faith permission to pursue or return to a behavior that will lead them into sin? Listen, jumping backwards, I want to make sure I get this in because we're right here at the end. I want to make sure we dealt with the issue there just very briefly of alcohol. Does that mean I don't like you? Um, you know, if you have a drink, that doesn't mean that. Does that mean I will never talk to you? No, that doesn't mean that. That's not what I said. It's a bigger question for us individually as believers. Will my action lead someone less mature in the faith to sin? Will my action give someone less mature in the faith permission to pursue or return to a behavior that will lead them to sin? That's what chapter 8 was for in Corinth. Will this eating of this meat lead them to sin? Will this take them back to behavior? If so, I don't eat it. If so, I don't need it. So quick questions to take home. Can I? Should I? 1 Corinthians 8 through 11. We'll deal with a couple more of these chapters next week. Romans 14. Scripture, Holy Spirit, other believers. We talked about this the last two weeks. How do we respond to sin? Go to Scripture, ask the Holy Spirit to convict you and to guide you, and go to other believers for guidance and for wisdom. What will protect those around me? What does my friend need? What does my coworker who's not a believer need to see? What do I need to take stances on and not take stances on? What do I need to not say or to say? Why? Because your greatest freedom is to lead them to freedom in Christ. We're elevating us as followers of Jesus to act like who we say we are. Am I using my freedom in Christ to lead others to Christ? 
These are questions from chapter 8 that can change and lead others to ask questions about your faith, about your story, about your background, about Jesus.